This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 22nd, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. New Rochelle, New York, stands as a city that has gotten the government largely out of the way of new housing production. Patrick Tuhi of the Better Cities Project says it's something other cities can easily emulate. He explains how New Rochelle's city council got it done. Housing is a huge problem in America. Uh, and for, and I know you and I have discussed this, I've discussed this with uh, Nolan Gray and some other people who follow housing very closely. Even if you live in a city where housing is cheap and uh, uh, widely available and uh, you feel comfortable with your situation, a lot of the problems, a lot of the structures that exist in cities across the United States with regard to zoning and the approval process for new construction, that sort of thing, those are the same structures that exist in a lot of the cities where we have this these skyrocketing prices because yes. of decades of housing under production. That's right. And it's not necessarily market forces that are driving up the costs. A lot of times it's it's the best intentions of local government, the process of getting approvals of permit of building that takes so long and are so um, unpredictable for a developer that they'll take no for an answer, right? They'll like to be told no, no, you can't do this. That's fine. What they, what, what drives up costs is being told yes, maybe in five years or invest a bunch of money and come back to us in five years and maybe we'll change our plan. It's that uncertainty that's driving up costs. Even if you have a vibrant, uh, community and you've got an awful lot of demand, cities get in their own way. They say they want development and I believe they do, but they can't take their uh, hands out of the till that, that want to micromanage. So what did New Rochelle do? Well, I, I guess we should understand this more broadly. Zoning is overwhelmingly local. Yes, that's and, right. And the various requirements of zoning sometimes are directed by the state. Uh, but for most communities, uh, NIMBYs get their way uh, in a large part because they're able to exert pressure. We like things right. the way they are. Please let me be the last one to move here is uh, the slogan I hear. Um, but so what did New Rochelle do? What was the problem they were facing? What did they do? Shoot. So, so for a number of years, so New Rochelle is this uh, community about 20 miles outside of New York City. It is uh, wealthy. It, there was a lot of demand, but the city council was getting in its own way. They hadn't approved uh, a new development in, in maybe uh, six or eight years. And it was because, again, the city council would, would nitpick. And I understand that city councils are often elected to do something. They view it as their job to kind of police development and make sure that their constituents are getting what their constituents actually want. But it had become kind of a critical mass. And the mayor and the city council, to their credit, realized we're getting in our own way. We want development in the abstract. But when somebody comes to us with a concrete example, we pick it apart. And as a result, we haven't seen any new development. So they partnered with uh, a developer um, to understand what were all the obstacles, what were the problems that developers were having to getting to guess. And so the, uh, the, the developer basically said, we will pay for all of the, uh, the planning, the investigation, the, the, the process of, of streamlining. And in return, the city will come up with a large, long-term plan of what they want. It involved visiting with all the different community actors to find out, you know, maybe we want affordable housing, maybe we want act, uh, community centers, all the various things. And they created a uh, static menu. And part of the 
different parts of town. Again, this was only 5% of the city they were talking about, but it was the downtown center. And they said, you know, on this area will allow for height restrictions of 10 or 20 stories. And then on the outward blocks, it'll come down. But the result was a menu where a developer came in and say, all right, I'm going to develop this particular parcel. I understand the rules uh, of the game allow me to build 10 stories. But if I include a community center, or if I agree to have some um, beneath the market housing, then I can add two more stories, or I can add four more stories. And what was absolutely important for the developer and, and all the developers was that they knew the rules going in, they had pre-approval given these circumstances, and so the city saw an awful lot of development, much more than they anticipated. And it wasn't because the city adopted some sort of libertarian dream of there are no rules, go to town, do what you want. It's because they simply said to the developers, we're willing to work with you and we will come up with the rules that are the same for every developer and that are predictable. And that's what developers want. So developers could just look at what was ahead of them, uh, as you said, a menu and make decisions based on that. And that is just so different from uh, the experience of developers and even people who just own a plot of land and want to build a house on it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, and, and having to seek permission and understanding that the, whatever group of fallible human beings were going to be making <laughs> yes. these decisions would be making them on a case-by-case -case ad hoc basis. I, I mean, th that seems tailor-made for uh, corruption. Yes. Tailor-made doesn't even begin. It almost seems intentionally designed to invite corruption. And, and one of my questions to the, to the authors, and, and, and this report was written by Salim Firth at Mercatus and Philip Orton, who was one of the, uh, the developers involved, um, is it was the, the ability of that city council to realize that their role in creating a problem and their, the community's role. Emily Hamilton at Mercatus has referred to this as the, the vitocracy, which is you enable everybody along the way. Everyone means well, but everybody just wants to say no. And the brilliance of this was that they got buy-in in the abstract. Yes, we want development. Yes, we want high-rise. Yes, we want density. And then when the developer came along with the actual concrete plan, there was no opportunity to say, oh, I don't like the color. I don't like uh, that you don't have more windows facing north. You know, all the things that people nitpick. Because sometimes that community involvement encourages uh, negativity. Right, you sit around and you're just like, I, how can I figure out a way to dislike this plan? Because people bought in in the abstract. When the development actually happened, they already felt, well, I had given buy-in. And if there were kind of nitpicky, it wasn't enough to stop the project. And uh, and you say it invites corruption. The standard, to, the status quo invites corruption. It it almost seems to be it was designed to allow politicians to pick and choose winners, to pick and choose their buddies, and to stand in the way of people who maybe didn't make a contribution and it is it is crazy but it requires the local governing authority to understand that they need to get out of the way and, and new rochelle was per rare perhaps unique in being able to do that yeah so uh for local people would be residents of a community they don't there's nobody speaking for them that's exactly right uh and for incumbents within a community they can essentially costlessly prevent people from finding housing within their own, who they will never meet. That's right. And uh, projects to provide housing to people who want it and want and are willing to pay for it. They've gotten out of the pool and they're pulling up the ladder behind them. And they're saying, I'm here, like exactly like you said, I want to be the last resident in this community. 
but then they lose out on economic growth, uh, you know, municipal revenue of seeing growth. I understand people maybe want to move in and be the last one in, but when they are, nobody else is investing in their community. Nobody else is bringing jobs, bringing development. And so it's a, it's a conflict between the two. But again, the way we've built the system now is nobody has an interest to say yes. Either it's the city employees who don't want to take the risk on yes, it's easier to say no. Um, or it's the people who look at a building and say, I don't like that color. I don't like how many windows you have. I don't like how close it is to the sidewalk or it's too far from the street. All the crazy reasons. And I'm sure if you had developers in here, they would have war stories of these community advisory meetings. Raleigh, North Carolina is one of the first cities in the country, maybe the only so far, that has actually stripped the power of their community advisory uh, commissions and is examining how can we involve the community's opinion without creating a special interest of these particular groups that always come in, always say no, exactly like you say, because they're the last ones in, they want to protect their investment and they don't want other outsiders to come in and, and live in their community. It, it really is a problem. And, and, and having studied economic development for so long, one of my frustrations is that, again, assume the best on behalf of people in cities. They adopt all these regulations. They adopt all these standards which drives up cost. And then the developer comes along and says, it's too expensive to build in your community, so I want taxpayer subsidies. And so the city creates two problems out of nothing. One, they make it expensive to build, and two, now we're going to subsidize development. If, they, if the purpose of opportunity zones or TIF was simply to say, we're not going to give you money, but you can apply and we will remove all these barriers, you would see development and the taxpayers wouldn't have to pay for it. What New Rochelle did, and the study's available on our website, what New Rochelle did was revolutionary in that they said, we will work with you. We want to maintain community standards. We want to have a voice in development, but we are not going to make you come back to us every step of the process. And I think it's brilliant. It is, it is again, maybe not the libertarian dream, but it is, it is much closer than we've seen elsewhere. What's the takeaway for other cities? Uh, have conscientious members of city council. I mean, that sounds nice. But. <laughs> you sound cynical. Uh, I think what they can do is say, look, are we seeing the growth that we think we deserve? Every city will say, no. Are we standing in the way? I don't think you have to be a new Rochelle. You don't have to be 20 miles outside of Manhattan to have an opportunity to see improvement. Talk with the people who want to develop, identify what the problems are and say, how can we maintain a community standard in development and yet let developers do what they want to do, right? They want to build. They want to invest. They want to pay taxes. Why are we getting in their way? Patrick Tuhi is the policy director of the Better Cities Project. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.